Hi everyone, this is Dave Wright and welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. I hope you're having a really good week wherever you're tuning in around the world. We know plenty of people out there are still doing it really tough during the current pandemic. As always, our team are working hard on new content and new initiatives for the PDP community. It's been really good over the last few weeks to be working closely with some of our PDP partners. So if you're interested in a club partnership or a school partnership, do check out the website to find out more in our partners section. We've also got some great new content coming to the site each week as usual and plenty more coming up before Christmas. Firstly, a quick reminder that our latest PDP webinar event with Birmingham City Assistant Academy Manager Stuart English is on November 10th. It's free to register for that. If you do miss the live event, there will be a replay posted on the website for members within 7 to 10 days. Last week, we published a brilliant masterclass discussion with Professor Stephen Rolnick on coach communication, so I highly recommend that. And today's podcast is our latest Q&A discussion. I really enjoyed putting this one together with PDP technical advisor Dan Wright. The video version is available now on the website. The question for today is how do I help teenage players value defending? Now this is an interesting challenge from a coach who is having trouble getting his players to work on one aspect of the game, so Dan and I have done our best to look at some ways to reframe defending with young players. If you haven't joined our community yet, you can sign up as a PDP member at playerdevelopmentproject.com and our free 30-day trial is still available so you can explore the platform and enjoy the content for up to a month with no charge. Head to playerdevelopmentproject.com, select a monthly or annual membership and dive into our library of learning content from interviews with top experts through to live sessions, magazine and blog articles, or the latest research in player development. Thanks for joining us today. I really hope you enjoy the discussion. Hi everyone, my name's Dave Wright and welcome to another Player Development Project Q&A. Really excited to be joined as per usual by PDP Technical Advisor Dan Wright. Dan, how are you mate? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, good. And looking forward to an interesting topic for conversation this week. Now, Dan, you've actually thrown this question onto the PDP members Slack uh, group and it's generated a bit of discussion. So the question really is, how do I help teenage players value defending? But do you want to give a little bit of context as to what you put out in the Slack community and, and I guess some initial thoughts? Yeah, so this kind of came about um, after a conversation with a few coaches around um, maybe in those teenage age groups, uh, players not enjoying defending or seeing the point of defending or isn't it, isn't it exciting for them. And then we kind of explored that maybe in the younger age groups, it, it seems like generally everybody attacks, everybody defends. And then as we get into kind of that, that 13 to maybe 16, there's a few players that think defending isn't for them or maybe that somebody else will help them do it. So we just kind of um, made a few notes, haven't we, to, to explore mm. perhaps why that's happening. And then, um, yeah, how it might impact our, our, our game days and our training days and maybe even some bigger picture stuff. So kind of questions over to you, I guess, first. So, yeah, wh why do you think that defending isn't exciting for maybe these teenage players? Yeah, look, I, I think the first thing to consider here is what we value and what we sort of reinforce within our environment. So player development is a complex topic, and I think we talk about all of these attributes we want players to have. But a lot of the time, those attributes may be with the ball at their feet. And it may be things that we want them to be able to do to create, to pass, to receive the ball, to dribble or run with the ball, and these kind of things. Um, so often I think it could be easy to overlook defending, which you know many could look at traditionally and say, well, there's some dark arts to defending and perhaps it's a little bit more unattractive to coach um, and it's much more exciting to coach the creativity. So 
I guess there's a little bit of self-reflection from coaches here, which we'll dive into a bit more later. But I think the first thing is what do we what do we value and what do we reinforce in terms of behaviours in our environment? So that's kind of my start point. And I think given that we're talking about teenage players and you're particularly experienced with this age group, but you've also worked with younger players, have you sort of noticed any key differences there in terms of the way that sort of tracks over time and, and the way that may change? Yeah, I mean... I haven't got any kind of science or research to back this up, but but generally my my kind of understanding or what I'm seeing is that the younger age groups, everybody will run around and, and, and win the ball and play and maybe play in more positions as well. I think that's something that we could explore. Yeah. Um, but there does kind of seem to be that, that what we praise, we get more of. So if we've got, you know, for example, a fantastic striker that scores a lot of goals and he's able to score left foot and right foot and headers and he runs in behind and all the things you might want to see, then in training and games, you might be praising that and, and not um, maybe praising the stuff that he finds difficult. So if it's a nine that struggles to press from the front or once the ball's gone behind him, he doesn't make that recovery run, how do we how do we get more of that? So even that's an interesting topic because it could be kind of a, a command style telling them and saying, this is what it's going to look like at first team and you must do this and you must do that. But mm. maybe the, the kind of um, idea of when, when he does do it, can you catch him doing it and really praise it or, or, or use some video to say, look, when you did this, this was fantastic and it helps the team and helps you get back into position because of mm. X, Y, Z. So I think that that praise piece is interesting, which kind of links into maybe coach bias as well. I think if you're, if you're someone that, that loves the, the attacking elements of the game or the skill moments of the game or 1v1s or players that can shoot from distance, there, there tends to be more coaches that, that get into coaching or, or love the game because of the attacking stuff, maybe more yeah. than the, the defending stuff. And that might be, again, like a, a cultural thing or a, a bigger picture thing because I'm sure there's other parts, parts of the world where defending is valued and maybe even put above. Um, those one be one moments. So there's loads of different ways and kind of avenues we can go with this conversation because it, 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 yeah, like you said, it's complex. Yeah, look, I think I've se- I can certainly recall experiences I've had with uh, working with coaches who value defending or they value that grit and determination. And I think I think defending presents a huge amount of opportunities for character development. I remember uh, doing an overload session years ago, which obviously we've talked about previously, and I do love an overload session. Um, where a player, you know, I'm doing a 6v3 and a player said to me, put me on the three. I want to be on the three. He wanted the challenge. He wanted to be up against it. So I think there's a huge opportunity there to say, look, the defending side of the game, which may be at times possibly a harder sell to players. Um, It may be less attractive to coaches, but actually it's a huge opportunity to develop resilience, develop um, determination and and perseverance and these kind of traits that we want to see in young people, not just young players. So I think that's a really important one. But working with coaches that value it, I think it becomes more prevalent in terms of what you reinforce. And I can think of a player I worked with uh, in an under-20s context where, you know, this was a player who was sort of 17, 16, 17, playing up uh, in terms of age groups, but just showed unbelievable determination and behaviours. And often to his own detriment in the sense that he would do work with the kind of attitude that if I don't do it myself, nobody else would do it. And he would almost step into other people's positions. So trying to coach him to understand how to manage his, I guess, physical output and work smart as opposed to work hard was actually the opposite of this in terms of the conundrum. I was trying to pull him back a little bit and say, look, just 
look at look at your moments because this this kid was doing big kilometers and big distances um, covering other players and had to go one way or the other so he was setting a standard which was the upside of this for me that I felt players should be aspiring to within the group so it was often a good reference point to say look this is this is what what your teammate is capable of doing and not to compare in terms of direct comparison between players but to say this is the kind of behavior we want to see that determination to press to win the ball back to fight to recover to make that extra effort um, and I, and I, again it's anecdotal it's not necessarily evidence but some players I believe sort of have that bit between the teeth and that desire to defend others probably aren't so um, passionate about it. and I can think about it from my own playing experience and think well played up front and out wide a lot as a, as a, a young player Never really worried too much about defending, but then as I got older and started to understand the game and got into coaching more while I was still uh, coaching and playing, um, started to look at those defensive responsibilities as an opportunity to communicate and control and influence the game. So that's just a personal anecdote. But I think some players really enjoy it, others don't. And framing that success and what we reinforce in the environment is really important. Mm. And, And the way that the players come into our team, into our system, into our club, they're all going to have different motivations and different mm. backgrounds and different first experiences. So that might influence why they play the way they play. And there's lots of stuff from, from James Vaughan around that. And yeah. e- even even beginning to understand that is interesting. I think um, one of the things you kind of touched on with that, that example of the under-20 player is kind of that accountability. Yeah. And I think there might be a tie between pitch sizes and accountability and even <laughs> maybe position-specific as well. So if you think... Um, in the UK, like the the mini soccer is seventy seven. It's quite a small pitch. It's not that hard to defend from the front. It's not that difficult to to go box to box. And then at kind of thirteen or fourteen, we're going to a full size pitch and playing eleven v eleven. And we've got more, maybe more recognised positions in terms of you're now a wide player. I'm now a centre mid. And so it might be that kind of accountability piece of wh- whose job is it to defend mm. and and, it, and in which moment. So. If players are turning up thinking they're a wide player and they're going to be Neymar, well, <laughs> Neymar and Messi don't do a great a great job of recovering and tracking back. And there might be a number of reasons. That might be what they've asked, been asked to do. But I think in the when kids are still learning in the game, that can be quite dangerous to to pigeonhole someone as you know um, uh, they've got a seven or eleven on the on their back for the for the rest of their time, and and they they don't make recovery runs and they don't press, and then going into that teenage age group you've got all the kind of growth and maturation stuff where it's yeah. the first time they're going to have kind of um, maybe aches and, and pains from, from training or from playing or they've got uh, good slatters or severs or, or other kind of growing conditions that's going to make running around harder than it was at 9 and 10 or the recovery to run so again we, we've referenced already it's complex but there's all these things kind of merging and melting together that, that we, we need to probably begin to kind of scratch underneath to, to see why these players and not finding mm. defending as exciting as they used to or as exciting as other people used to? Yeah, look, I think the pitch size thing's a big one. So we talk about constraints all the time, right? There's a constraint straight off the bat to players who are making that progression, whether it's from uh, 7v7 into 9v9 or 9v9 to 11v11, and the pitch is getting bigger. But I think if we think about the nature of the question, and it was really specific around teenage players, this is probably a time where the tactical element of the game starts to come into focus and there's a, there's a light being shined on learning the game, learning roles. Now, it may be that 
as a sort of, let's say, an eights to twelves player, maybe you've bounced around three or four positions, maybe even more over that three, four, five year period. Um, but then you come into the, the YDP, the youth development phase, and you suddenly, maybe you have two roles. And maybe by the end of that journey, as you get to 16s to 18s and beyond, maybe you've then got one position. And we, we've talked about this on Q&As around when players are ready for those positions. But I think it's a case now of looking at the teenage years as a real opportunity to coach and actually help the players understand the game and create sessions where they have to solve problems and they have to um, be set tasks which include realism and, and that turnover transition moment is critical to that in terms of going from the attack and the fun stuff and the pretty stuff through to doing the hard graft getting your hands dirty and actually chipping in defensively and again reinforcing those behaviors so if we consider the teenage um i guess phase and developing not only tactical understanding but that accountability and and i guess competition comes into this as well what are your thoughts around where these pieces of the puzzle fit yeah i think that the, the big picture that this is our our challenge as coaches rather than mm. the players challenge and we've got to help them and, and the one way we help them is session design so session design like you said should have transition so if I am an attacker and I enjoy scoring goals if I miss the opportunity or the defender takes it off me what do I do next do I stand there and and let him counter attack or, or, or do I do something about it so making sure you know practices have goals have direction have realism and then like you said I think throughout the week it's okay to have competition and to have some consequence so if you imagine a team a practice sorry with three teams and one team on the outside two teams playing and if the one team chooses not to defend properly and the other team score first that knocks the other team off and there's a consequence mm. so if we want guys to be good in that counter presser in that transition moment probably one of the ways to, to, to encourage it is in session design so rather than just telling them can the practice tell them so can you build a practice that is showing them the gap in their skill. So if they're not if they're not covering back or they're not recovering or that only two of the four are doing it, for example, then they're probably going to lose. And when you lose, you spend time on the outside and someone else plays. Mm. Um, I, I think that that set the, the the two ways I would look to probably um, look to improve this skill would be session design and the use of video. I think yeah. video is much more powerful than just a coach telling them. If you put something on the screen and say you know, tell me what you're seeing here and it's a player not working hard or not recovering rather than telling them and being that kind of command style coach if they can start to see it for themselves you go okay and like mm. let's see what we can do on Sunday or let's see what we can do in the next session and then the session design it's got to look like the game and it's got to be yeah. if you don't do it that there's a natural consequence of you know you might not spend as much time with the ball or you might not you know might not win or, or whatever it is I think I think especially in these teenage age groups that's okay and, and is probably something preparing them for the for the kind of next developmental step yeah look I think there's also opportunities within the game so there's a great session plan on the website called lazy wingers um, which is essentially a counter-attack and transition practice but whether you're working with let's say 14 kids in a 77 at training you could put this session into practice um, but also on game day <clears throat> excuse me I've, I've had scenarios where let's say we're playing a 4-3-3 and there might be a tactic uh, where you say I want to leave three players up front on defensive corners so what's the risk? Okay, the risk is that we may concede a goal in a game of under-14s football or under-16s football um, because we might be defending outnumbered. But you might also find that if you leave three up front, the opposition might leave three or more likely four at the back. So can you exploit that moment as a learning opportunity on game day? And so just around set piece, we're going to leave three players up front and we're going to see if we can work attacking transition and counter-attack really quickly. We want to have an outlet. 
Now, obviously, in a training environment, that's going to create a really good defensive challenge for the team who are on the attacking corner and looking to recover. So if you play that lazy winger session, that could be the way to do it. And on game day, obviously, your opposition is going to get stretched, but you might be looking at that attacking transition moment. So for me, that, that's an example where youth development, youth football, really the result at the end of the day doesn't matter on the scoreboard. Being competitive, winning your 1v1s, all of this stuff does matter. Um, but at the same time, there's an opportunity to, to look at whether you maybe defend a certain way. So at an attacking corner, maybe we'll throw everybody up except for two and we'll expose ourselves a bit at the back. Can those two players at the back be stretched, might find themselves 3v2, and we'll deal with it, and we'll deal with the consequences. But we're using the game as an opportunity to sort of coach those tactical moments. So that, that's sort of a couple of scenarios for me where coaches can test it. And again, if we're okay with conceding a goal because we're developing the player, then I think we're on the right path to, to helping them realise their potential. Mm. And then it's completing the loop of what happened, why did it happen, what are yep. going to do about it? So if people aren't defending well or we haven't got enough people back from a corner and that uh, recovery run is not good enough from whoever, then, okay, what happened? We didn't have enough bodies behind the ball. What do we need to do? We need to run a bit more. We need to do it quicker. Mm. We need to anticipate. That, that's all learning. And, and that might take, I don't know, 15 times through that kind of yeah. 13 to 16 for it to happen. It's not going to be one intervention is going to fix all of this because mm. I can think of first-team players that don't defend very well. So like <laughs> to expect a 12-year-old to be able to do it or a 13-year-old to be able to do it with one yeah, one conversation or one piece of video or one practice is unrealistic. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's such a good topic. I think it goes to show like with these Q&As or with these kind of real-life problems that people are having in their environments that it isn't just one answer uh, and it's, there's, there's loads of things smashed into this problem and, and also that the interventions are going to be long, like you're not mm. going to put on a, one session and, and fix it. It's going to take six months' work, six weeks, six years' work, sorry, to to um to get it to a standard that you want. And and also to accept that maybe some players won't get it. Some players will, will choose not to get it or not or not want to improve that aspect of the game. But um yeah, this is why these Q&As are good fun because there's <laughs> 20 different answers to, to one question here, I think. Absolutely. Look, one other angle I think we should explore is culture. You know, we've talked a lot over the years about the PDP model of player development. Um, we've presented that model. It's in various pieces of content around the website. But if we think about our national football culture as part of that, I guess, the macro factors that sit around the model, um, we, we can then go back to the values word again and think about well, what are different cultures value. So again, Jimmy Vaughan's written about Brazil and the value of trickery and deceit and, and all of the history that goes with movement patterns and skill acquisition um, in Brazilian football. But let's talk about Italy. Traditionally known, I guess, particularly through the 80s, 90s and even more contemporary um, times as a, as a powerhouse when it comes to defending and tactics. I can remember... Uh, interviewing Dan Machichi years ago, now working at Arsenal, used to work at the FA with the England youth teams, uh, and him talking about his obsession with watching Italian football as a kid, obviously through his own heritage, but but that that kind of passion for understanding the tactical side of the game. I mean, if you're growing up in that environment, perhaps it is something that is valued more, the art of defending, the Paolo Maldini kind of role models, versus the Neymars who you cited earlier, who may be more on the attacking side. So, I mean, obviously this has an influence. Have you sort of got experience either in the English context or other places you've been, um, and, and perhaps Africa's a good example, given you've spent time out there as to what's valued and what's reinforced? Yeah, I mean, it, it's... Uh, you know, we've got to be careful we don't generalise a whole country with <laughs> one style of play because 
you could think of like uh, Atletico Madrid, who yeah. you know are technically a Spanish team but don't play in a Spanish way, which is the coach's influence. So it's it's yeah. it's complex again. Um, but you know, as a snapshot, when when I was in Uganda, they would go crazy for like a skill. So yeah. somebody would do a step over, even if they didn't beat the man or a back heel, and the crowd <laughs> would go crazy, like whoa! But like you could do a nutmeg and lose it, and they'd still go crazy. Whereas maybe um, getting two banks of four behind the ball and, and being in a perfect block didn't really switch people on. And that you know could be for a number of reasons. I'm I'm not an expert in the culture there, but but it might be because people um, go to the game to be entertained, like they want to see bits and bobs that they can't do or or a skill or a moment that's going to make their day better mm. whereas maybe the Italian culture is about winning and they're happy to um, sacrifice if that's the right word some of the the, the um, creativity for the functional to win a game mm. again another separate uh, not just the <laughs> Q&A that's a whole thesis of stuff for someone to go and explore <laughs> why, why that's happening um, but but yeah, then you've got the when you you know which coach is taking that team in which culture and in, in which mm-hmm. club. Like there's the culture means different things to different people, but it might be the micro culture of the the team that the the coach is leading, and then the country and the sport. And the, mm. so yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not well placed to answer that question, <laughs> but again, just just reference that it's it is super complex. Yeah, look, anecdotal evidence is good in these things. And again, as you said, there's, there's lots of angles. Look, the last point from my perspective is you, we've touched on the word creativity a lot. And I think it's so easy to think Ronaldinho, right? The ultimate role model in terms of creativity. But I think, and I've had this conversation with coaches and at CPD events in the past where we have to value defending as something that does require creativity. How do you solve the problem in front of you? You know, whether that's putting your body on the line or whether that's being really clever and trying to uh, draw a touch out of, play, out of a player as, as a defender in a 1v1 or whether that's defending with the appropriate foot. And, and, and it's, it's one of those things that does require some detail in terms of coaching and players in this teenage age group will require some support. So understanding the game, understanding the requirements of, of defending itself will, will certainly help you. So I think it's worth coaches studying that and looking at what are defenders doing at the highest level to be creative in terms of solving problems? And I think counterattack often reveals some of those things in terms of how players innovate. So that's kind of my final thought, Dan. Is there anything you'd like to sort of summarize with uh, for coaches to consider in terms of practical advice outside of the initial thoughts around motivation, reinforcement, and how we frame this? Yeah, I think kind of... Um, my summary or my takeaway is like, like we've already mentioned, this is our problem, not the kids' problem. Like we've got to do do stuff to help them. And then the second thing I reflected on is like, what do I get fired up by? What am I? What am I coaching? What do I enjoy? What what you know? What's in, what do I get enthusiastic about? Is it that player that runs past someone in a one v one? And do I give the same kind of level of care or praise to a defender that wins a one v one? So yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that, but something that's worth thinking about through training and games and maybe video analysis. Do I praise? someone that does an unbelievable block or you know recovers 20 yards to get back into shape as much as I do someone that scores from outside the box so that's something that I'm going to go away and then think about kind of over the, the next part of the season but um, good question and again those kind of questions have answered around the slack group so um, yeah that's where, where all this stuff's going on Absolutely. Well, look, a really interesting conversation. Great to sort of have this uh, discussion with PDP members and obviously dive into some real detail here. Dan, thanks again for your time. I enjoyed it. Thanks, mate. Excellent. And we'll look forward to another player development project Q&A very soon. 
Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.